See, the difference with me, when I do what I do, I do what I'm doing, but I'm doing it like I'm doing it for TV. Keep your hands up. What? Uh-huh. Put your hands up. Come on, come on. Keep your hands up. We back. We back. We back. We back. Put your hands up. We back. We back again. Keep your hands up. We back. We back. We back. We back. We back. I remember the days of premature. So, welcome everybody to our live football podcast. We are back live with our new hosts it's been a minute um what the football took a bit of a sabbatical but we're coming back live by popular demand bringing you the latest in the english premier league and what's happening around the grounds i'm excited to announce that we have two new hosts joining the show um all the way from melbourne australia uh riyadh khan how are you riyadh Hey, Connor. What's happening? Nice to have you on board. Thanks for having me, bro. No, good. I'm looking forward to having some conversations about that team you support and a few others. And what a team it is, huh? What a team it is. <laughs> and, of course, we've got our resident uh, Arsenal Guna supporter, a big Arteta fan. Great. Um, <laughs> How are you? Uh, good, thanks, Connell. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think I'm actually having second thoughts now after after what I just witnessed on the weekend. But anyway, we move. We move. <laughs> we don't blame you. We'd be having lots of thoughts based on what's going on with us. <laughs> Which is a great, uh, great segue, wait. It's, uh, you know, moment of the week for us, our first segment. Actually, he's going to cover off the Arsenal and Man City game, so you'll you know you'll be afforded some time to to basically chat through that and kind of have a look at it and give us your analysis on what's going on. Bit uh-huh. of a, an embarrassing scoreline, but we'll delve into that a little bit later. I guess for everybody, it's probably the biggest uh, match that's happened uh, over the weekend, which was the the Liverpool Chelsea uh, game took place at Anfield to potential uh, title contenders. Going toe to toe, the European champions against the uh, yeah the Liverpool team that I guess people are kind of you know what version of the team are we going to get this year? So an interesting game finished one one. Um, yeah, I guess that's one for the German managers going head to head. What was your what was your take on it, Riyad? What did you think of the whole game? And yeah, what was your standout moments? Look, I thought it was a good game. I thought it was um, two very good teams going head-to-head. I must say, I have been impressed by Liverpool, the way they've started the league. Um, They look quite close to the team they were um, before the the season that's just passed. Um, So it looks like having Big Verge back in in, in the team does make a little bit of a difference. in terms of the game itself, um, look, Chelsea look good. Um, um, I, I think it's, it's credit to them the way they held up. I think they thoroughly deserved their point. Um, the red card was, was a red card. There's no complaints. Um, that's the, the law is the law. Um, so there's no complaints on, on, on my end on that. Um, but I do think that perhaps um, within... Uh, with the previous manager, if it was Lampard, I'd, I'd be a little bit, 
a big concern. Uh, I would think that Chelsea would have folded, but I think it shows um, the togetherness and the team spirit what they've got to 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 fight a, a good Liverpool team. And I suppose on the other end, um, Liverpool were uh, left to have really shots from range. Um, I don't, there weren't too many chances that they they got in behind once Chelsea were down to ten men. And I think Chelsea, even, you know, towards the end, I think there was was it a Kovacic chance where um, Allison made a good save, um, but you know, um, could be one for Liverpool to, to worry about, um, thinking about maybe maybe two points thrown with, with 10 men, but um, a good game, um, deserve a scoreline, um, and, and um, Chelsea, Chelsea looks like they, they got some credentials. Well, it's an interesting couple of points there you raised, Riyad, and I might ask um, our new resident Arsenal supporter on, on a couple of those points. Riyad raised a, a point about the penalty now, a hotly contested uh, decision. Um, you know, people having split opinion, I don't know why, quite frankly, it's literally in the rules and it's a pretty clear penalty if you ask me. But what was your take on it, Wade, and what did you think of the whole incident at the end of the first half? Yeah, look, um, I think it was a clear penalty as well. Um, I think if James just has his hands down by his side and there's no sort of movement uh, and the ball is kicked into his hand, then I'd understand people's complaints. Um, but uh, I think that forward motion that he makes, almost yeah. pushing the ball out of the net, I think that was a dead giveaway. Um, so I don't think there can be too many complaints about the actual penalty. I have seen people try to, you know, make a case for it not being a penalty, but uh, it was clear as day for me. Uh, you can't do that. He's obviously prevented a clear goal. Um, so I don't, I don't think there can be too many complaints about that. I, and I, I think just the motion of his arm going forward as well. Um, for me, that was that was sort of, you know. Uh, the exclamation mark really in terms of it being a penalty so I don't think there can be too many complaints about that uh, I think this I think Chelsea can take a lot of confidence from this game because um, as Riyad said Liverpool have started the season really well I've been really impressed with the way they started um, they've really looked like that team um, from the year before last and and uh, previously where they just play free-flowing attacking football creating so many chances. Um, so I was very impressed with the way they started the season. And, um, excuse me, I think Chelsea can take a lot away from this game because going down to 10 men with this, with the type of form Liverpool were in uh, and then managing to hold out like that, it, it really was a defensive masterclass. And I thought um, Rudiger was immense at the back. He just seemed to be everywhere. Um, so he's really, uh, he looks like a different player under Tuchel. Um, so it's very impressive. I, I think we had a conversation last week and, and I had Liverpool and City as my sort of clear favourites for the title this year. Um, but, you know, Chelsea have, Chelsea have really given me something, something to think about because I think with Lukaku coming into the fold as well, they've got their focal point now. Um, and if they can defend the way they've defended, not not just on the weekend, but you know how they've defended since Tuchel's come in. To be fair, defensively they've been incredible under Tuchel. Mm. So if they can maintain that for the rest of the season, 
um, and build on on the straw. Um, I think they could they could really push anyone very close um, when it comes to winning the league. So I think they'll leave this game feeling very confident um, after the international break. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. You know, I think uh, you guys have raised a great couple of points there with regards to Chelsea specifically. You know, what Tuchel has probably managed to do in relatively short space of time. Uh, when you think about it, this team was managed by Lampard only, you know, nine months ago. And within that time, they become European champions. And one of the most solid defensive performances I've seen in a long time with 10 men. Mm. Um, you know, Liverpool, as you said, Riyad, left to, to long-range efforts, a uh, couple of good saves from Mendy in goal, but overall never really got him behind, which was very hard at the end of the day. I think the first half, you know, allowed the spaces in behind the full-backs for Liverpool to attack, and it was a really good half. Um, it looked like it was going to be a titanic tussle for 90 minutes, but left short at the end in terms of, you know, that sending off just changing the whole flow of the game, but... Ultimately, I think they're two real title contenders in my eyes. Um, you know, I'm not saying that just purely as a Liverpool supporter, but the quality on show of that first half was um, was really exceptional uh, from both teams. I might add, Chelsea had a number of uh, breakaways where they were three on three or four on four, which just goes to show how dangerous they are on the attack. But also shows you how susceptible Liverpool are on a counter attack because. Um, of the spaces they leave in behind their fullback. So, two great teams. Um, I think the same cannot be said for our next game, though. In uh, We might start off with Wade. Yeah, Wade, what is going over? What is going on over there? The, the Gunners made a 5-0 thrashing at the hands of the champions. Look, um, it wasn't ideal, uh, to say the least. Um, I thought, you know, in the in the early stages, the very early stages, I should say, the first five to ten minutes, I thought we were bright. Um, we showed some real attacking intent. Uh, I like the fact that he played Odegaard next to Shaka in midfield. I mean, it didn't end up panning out, obviously, but I like the attacking intent that he had in mind just going into the game. Um, I thought the battery was sus right from the start, though. Um, I mean, Kolasinac, a guy on his way out, um, you know, even though he wasn't too bad on the day, I don't think it kind of, um, it kind of, you know, fills the opposition with any sort of fear when you see that guy on the on the field. Um, Who was that? Uh, Kolasinac. Who? Steve Kolasinac. Never heard of him. <laughs> 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 uh, there seems to be, you. There seems to be a few players there uh, stealing <laughs> a paycheck at Arsenal. No, uh, so so you, you might recognise him from um, the incident with Ozil. Where, yeah. Um, um, I think there was a, someone trying to snatch his wife's bag or something. And, and, um, oh, that chap. Yeah, he's more famous for the, for the bag snatching yeah. incident. Yeah. <laughs> Look, yeah. I, I, think, um, I think that's about... Uh, as best he's defended since he's been at the club, to be honest. Um, so <laughs> that, that, that'll definitely make his, his highlight reel when he leaves. Um, that'll be right up there at the top. But uh, now, listen, I, I didn't like the back three to begin with. But in saying that, the goals we conceded were schoolboy stuff, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, that cross from Jesus, 
surely as a centre-back, you've got enough time to get into position to clear that ball. I mean, it wasn't exactly whipped in, you know? It came in at a reasonable pace, and then to get beaten at the back post by pretty much the smallest guy on the field. Um, and I remember watching a similar goal when we played City last year, where Sterling scored a header, you know, and he's getting in behind our, our, our central defenders. So it's just schoolboy stuff. And then the second goal as well, Cedric, he doesn't know if he's kicking it or heading it. Um, again, it goes past like three guys and they're in again, you know. Two, um, two goals that you learn about that stuff at school, you know. So to well, concede wait, goals like... If I may interject here, I just want to pass. I just want to pass over to Riyad and just ask his opinion on something. I, you've highlighted two things here for me. I've yes. heard schoolboy kind of error goals, probably players that shouldn't be taking the field. Right? Surely this is a time when the manager has to be brought into question. Yeah, and potentially um, is it time for him to go? Is he is he the wrong man at Arsenal? And I'll come back to you, Wade. But I just wanted to see what uh, Riyad's opinion was on that matter. Time to go, probably difficult to say, um, but I think there's a lot that falls on him for, for the decisions he made, right? So I, I know the players may not be good enough, but he found solutions in, in the wrong area. So, you know, Kolasin has taken the field. Um, you know, I was shocked. I know the club are looking to get him out. I've, I've, I've read in the scene um, that they're looking for ways to, to move him on. Um, and you've got players that you know, they signed uh, a wing back, uh, Tavares. Um, they've got that young kid, Maitland Niles, who's played wing back as well. Um, you've, you, you've got Tierney who can come and play as, as uh, a centre half. He's done it as a uh, right side of centre half um, in a back three. So you, you've got other options as a manager going what, what he did. I, I, I struggle with it, so I, I think there's a lot for him to take. I know, um, you know, the school ball defending. You know, you you wonder if a more experienced coach gets more out of the, of those players. Um, they, they are at the end of the day professional players, and and that that the type of, type of defending you saw at, uh, on display, we don't expect to see from any team in the Premier League, let alone the Arsenal. So, um, you know, I, I think there is a lot to to. For, for Arteta to, to answer to. Um, I don't think anyone expected Arsenal to win, um, but the manner of the defeat is, uh, yeah, like I said, I think the manager got to got to take a lot of the blame for that one. Oh, Wade, I mean, you know, what is what is your repost to that? Because you look at it, the facts are clear. I know you've had some challenges at the start of the season, but that's three games, zero wins, zero goals, zero points heading into the international break. It is not looking promising for the Gunners for the rest of the season. Where do you realistically see the next sort of six months uh, going under Arteta? Look, um, I think putting it, putting things into perspective, we've played the champions um, of England and we played the champions of Europe in our first three games. Um, as Riyad mentioned, I don't think many people expected us to win those, win those games. Um, so the way I'm looking at it, um, and this is, I guess, a glass half full approach, um, we've, we've dropped three points to Brentford that we shouldn't have, you know, we get those three points and looking at the table now, we're probably sitting somewhere around 12th. Um, so it's fine margins at this stage. And I don't think we're in the crisis that it's been made out to be at this stage. Now, yes, of course, Mikel has to take 
of blame. At the end of the day, he picks the team, he puts them out there. But in regards to defending from set pieces, I think you can go back six or seven years and we've always been poor for, from set pieces. I, I, I don't know why. It's just something we haven't quite figured out. Um, when Gabriel is in there, he's, he provides us with, with a bit of height and he's very good in the air. Um, so I'm hoping that improves us. Obviously, Ben White's not as big. Um, so he's a bit of a, it's a bit of a concern there with these heights, um, you know, in respect to, um, set pieces, but I think we have to see what Mikel can do with, with our full strength team, you know? So I think after the international break, we've got a run of games against, um, I believe Norwich. And then I think we play Burnley, we play Spurs at some stage, we play Palace as well, I think in that run. So. I think that's going to be the real test or the real eye-opener for us to see how we how we respond um, with our first-team players back. We're going to have Thomas Party back um, as well. Um, so we should be full strength after the international break. And I don't think you can judge him now. I mean, we spent a lot of money, I know, in the transfer window. But to be fair, um, not, hardly any of those guys were on display. I'm trying to think who actually was. I think it probably was only Erdegaard who was, um, you know, who's coming in the summer, who started that game against City. So we have to see how, how the team responds. Um, obviously, there's going to be a lot of eyes on him. Um, the criticism is understandable, but I think that we, we have to see how it pans out with the full-strength team. I expect things to turn around. I expect us to go on a good run, uh, and I expect us to be in a much better position come the next international break. So... Um, I think after that run of games, we'd have a bit more of a clear, I guess, idea of where the team is actually at. But I think the fact that we've played two of two title challenges in the first three games, um, again, no one expected us to win those games. So I'm looking at it from the perspective that we've lost three points at this stage that we shouldn't have. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we weren't wrong. This is Miguel Arteta's biggest fan right here, Wade Trout. <laughs> we will uh, we'll be replaying this podcast in six months' time to see where we are at. But I will say, one saying in football has never been truer. If you're not first, you're Arsenal. Because you're dead last. And the team you hate the most, Spurs, on our top of the log. Uh, just, that's just a cherry on top, isn't it? Spurs, Spurs going into the break on top. I mean, you couldn't script it. You could not saying. write a better script than what's currently happening right now to Arsenal. Which uh, leads us into our next segment, ladies and gentlemen. time for the analysis corner the part of the show where we dive deep into things all all things football and analyze the world of football sometimes off the park today's topic uh looking at the landscape of club owners you know post covid and a bit of an in-depth discussion around current transfer models within some of the bigger clubs um and what we feel will will pave the way for success. So I might start it off here and, and get my co-hosts to join in where they can. Um, we might focus on a couple of the uh, the teams in question. Perhaps we start off with the, you know, one that raises a lot of debate around, you know, I guess Liverpool um, and some of the other clubs and how they operate. Um, 
Liverpool currently have a, a quite obvious position in the way in which FSG have structured uh, the way their club is, is kind of run. Um, I guess you can say we have a transfer policy that looks at uh, selling players first, um, raising the capital in order to buy, buy players. You look at uh, the time that FSG have been in charge, every purchase has been made off the back of a big purchase. So, you know, unlike the cities or Chelsea's or to an extent the United's of this world, who tend to buy players irrespective of having to have the funds to cover it uh, more often than not. Example would be City's purchase of, of Jack Grealish. Liverpool will sell a player, i.e. Coutinho, for $150 million, and within that bring someone like a Virgil and a Allison in. So quite contrasting models, I guess. Uh, which one's right, which one's wrong is open for debate. Um, and I guess it just it looks at the way in which clubs operate and what is what is truly sustainable in the long run you know when you have behemoths like these clubs who generate exorbitant amounts of money um a la man united a, a commercial beast if you will globally and man city uh, and chelsea owned one owned by a, a oil tycoon and the other owned by a, a country so quite contrasting ways of operating I, for one, think sustainability is around driving profitability through your company and making sure that longevity of that company is sustainable through just general good business practices, which is making sure that the, the balance of your, your, your books ultimately come out on the positive end. Um, Rudd's United tend to spend, spend, spend. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, look, I, I think United spend within their means, though. So United, like you said, are a commercial beast. So, um, you know, we, if anything, United have the opposite problem to City and Chelsea and PSG, where our owners take money out of the club instead of investing in the club. So everything United spend um, is, is self-generated. I suppose the, the model you spoke about uh, with, with FSG and, and why... I, the reason I'm a little bit concerned about that model is um, ultimately we football fans and, and the aim of the game is not to make profit, it's to, to get the most success you can on, on the field, right? I, I know what I'm, what I'm not saying is, you know, make silly losses and, and run the club to the ground. Um, so there's got to be um, a balance there. Um, players are assets. Um, so you are servicing your club by ensuring you're getting the right assets in. Um, and sometimes you need to have an investment in the assets to improve your, your improve your business, right? And, and the amortization of that, of that asset becomes an expense, but that, 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 you know, the, the gaining of, of those players, um, and putting them on the books is, 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 is really important for, um, for, for how profitable you may be going forward. So if you continue to look for sell first and buy later uh, in a market that is a buyer's market only, um, and, and what I mean by that is in the current COVID environment, those that would typically buy 460 million uh, from Liverpool are, are cash-strapped, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, um, as far as we, we, we can see that that type of money is not going to come in. So 
how what should Liverpool do in that in those scenarios? Um, you, you're not just competing with United and City and Chelsea and, and Arsenal. Now you, you look at teams like West Ham, they are spending. You look at teams like Tottenham, they are spending. You look at teams all up, you know, up and down the, the league. They are they investing in the squad. They are investing in their team um, to build something that can continue to challenge. Um, you know, and and, that, and that's where I'm a little bit concerned. Um, you know, maybe I, I lie a little bit. I'm not, I'm not that concerned. Um, yeah, don't 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 twist the truth. You could care less about what happens with Liverpool, except if they go down. No, I, I suppose <laughs> I'm a, I, I'm more intrigued than than concerned. Um, so I'm, I'm more intrigued in terms of what do Liverpool do do next. Um, I think money in football um, uh, is, is yet to stay. Uh, you know, I think I said to you earlier, um, there is a direct correlation between money spent and trophies, and you know that that's evidenced through through Chelsea, through Man City, through Real Madrid, through Barcelona, through, through PSG, through Bayern Munich. Um, so, um, you know, I, I I do applaud the model. Um, a sustainable model and something that perhaps, uh, you know, Wade will talk to Wenger having some, um, having similar views. Um, but I will say I'm also pretty keen to see what the new iteration of FFP becomes. Um, you know, so it's going to be launched later this year, um, and and what will they be looking at? How they will be governing? Because um, the, the the amount of money that's getting thrown around, that's backed by countries. Um, is, is not sustainable. You know, um, PSG are, are arguing that they, the business they have done this year um, is all within FFP. Uh, I can't see. I, I do not know how they've stacked your books so yeah. heavy, particularly yeah. on the wages side. Um, they are not, um, they don't have big commercial deals outside of perhaps the, the deals they have with their own owners. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't know how they're balancing that, those books and um, the concern is not so much on PSG because they can sustain it. The concern is owners of other clubs following the same model and then those owners walking away and leaving those clubs for dead. Um, so I think it is a concern in terms of financial landscape. They need, it does need to be um, tightened up and, and, and really challenged. Um, but then you've got the same team to talk about PSG, Man City, Taking FFP, taking uh, UEFA to court, and and then making a mockery of the whole system. So, I mean, I know there's a few different points. I've jumped up and down on that, um, but it's, it's just it's just fascinating at the moment. I think you've uh, raised some good points, Ariad, and one of the key things I think to take out of it, and I'm going to pose it over to to Wade. But let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, I, you know, Man City and PSG probably have the best accountants and lawyers that money can buy because, yeah, I am not sure how they do what they do, but clearly they have uh, ways and means of getting about um, in, in the right context uh, for their purposes. Um, there's no conceivable way that uh, a club that generates the money that PSG does, which is actually not that much when you consider their overall brand in the world, uh, can fund some of the people that they are signing. Um, it makes little to no sense, but they have made a mockery. I think football clubs now have made a mockery of um, actually being able to, um, uh, you know, grow sustainably because of some of the owners within these clubs. 
So it makes it a big challenge, I guess, for the football authorities to bring it back uh, a notch. But the, the reality at the same time is this is why things like the Super League will come back again. Because, you know, you spoke about it, Rods. These clubs should be driven by success in the field and ultimately giving back to the communities that they service. The reality is these football clubs are no longer the park football clubs that we once knew or family community clubs that were once uh, the core of English football. They are now full-blown businesses. And at the end of the day, business is driven by profits in the bottom line. So, you know, when the, uh, when the money dries up somewhere, you go out looking for it somewhere else. It's as simple as that. And I think, you know, Wade, handing it over to you, do you see the landscape being different? Where do you see football headed with this current trajectory? I mean, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, for example, cost Juventus $80 million a season one single player that's probably worth more than most countries gdp um but yeah we are where one player can garnish that much return in a single season how is this sustainable and where do you see things headed yeah look um i think just speaking to uh, a good point you just raised uh there connell i think there's never been um a bigger disconnect between fans and clubs uh can you hear me? Yeah, mate. Oh, you guys can hear me? Okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's ever been a bigger disconnect between fans and clubs than there is now. And, um, you know, obviously, as an Arsenal fan, you know, we, we uh, fell victim to, I guess, the idea of financial fair play. Um, I think Arsene Wenger had the right intentions with, you know, wanting to run the club in, um, you know, in a respectable manner. And you know, respecting the laws of the game. However, our business in terms of transfers over the last decade has been has been really shambolic. You know, I mean, since moving to the Emirates, you know, we were all t- sold the dream of, you know, once we've paid off the stadium, um, we're going to be able to compete with the Bayern Munichs of the world. You know, there, there was a famous Ivan Gazidis quote, um, you know, that we'd be competing with the Bayern Munichs of the world, etc. And it hasn't panned out that way. Um, you know, like you said, these days, it's all about a sugar daddy coming in and just spending big money. Um, and I think I think we are at risk of, you know, the clubs who have those owners separating themselves from the rest of the pack. Um, you know, you mentioned the amount of money that City and PSG have been spending, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, and you've even got our fans now. I know there was a tweet the other day from... Uh, one of these guys in Qatar who's a, a part of the royal family or something to that regard. And, you know, Arsenal fans were getting so excited online because this guy was talking about us and, you know, um, potentially taking over. There was talks about the that Nigerian businessman as well, Dangote, I think his name is, uh, taking over. And, you know, we're, we're sort of craving now for a sugar daddy to come in and save us because we seem to be falling further and further behind. Um, we we don't have any sellable assets like Liverpool had a few years ago, you know, when you guys got rid of um, Philip Coutinho and Suarez and, and, and were able to generate money. And I think the job that Edwards did at Liverpool was phenomenal, you know, to bring in the players that he did for the prices that he did. I mean, Mohamed Salah, just looking at his um, fee here, was 42 million euros. 
Sadio Mane was a similar figure, 41 million euros. Um, I think the business he did was incredible, you know, to, to get you guys to the point that you're at now. And you always seem to make profits off your players. When we try to sell players, no one seems to want to buy them. But every time Liverpool sell a player, I'm looking at Solanke, went for 21 million euros. I mean, Dominic Solanke. We can't get rid of Eddie Nketiah, who's been, scored, you know... Uh, one Premier League goal, am I? Exactly. It's, it's, um, it's, it's ridiculous. We couldn't get rid of Eddie Nketiah, who was a goal-scoring machine at age group level. He's played a lot of first-team football for Arsenal. He's definitely scored more goals than one. And we can't seem to get rid of him. Um, I'm looking at, uh, at, at other players that, that have left. You know, you guys sold Jordan Ive for 18 million euros. You know, Joe Allen, 15 million euros. So uh, the business that you guys have done on, on based on that model has worked up until now. I think the squad is in a really healthy place um, in terms of Liverpool squad. I think most of the guys are on long-term deals as well. Uh, how it pans out moving forward will be interesting. Um, on that model, but I think if you guys can continue to make a profit off these guys that are kind of on the periphery of the first team, um, you know, you, should, you guys should be good. But moving forward, there's definitely a, a big risk that the cities of the world are, are really going to pull, uh, pull away from the pack if they keep spending the money that they're spending. And not only that, they're having the success on the field as well. It's one thing spending money and not having the success. We've seen teams crumble uh, in the past, going all the way back to Leeds, come straight to mind. Um, you know, you still got to translate that to success and, and that's what they've managed to do. So they're going to be there or thereabouts for a long time. Obviously, Chelsea can spend big money as well. But again, it translates to success. I mean, they've got an owner who wants to win. And if things aren't working, he's happy to change change it up. He's happy to pay managers off and get the best guy available to come in and do the job. Um, and he's willing to splash the cash, you know. So uh, it is a concern that those teams could pull away from the likes of us uh, unless somebody comes in and, and, and pretty much saves us. I know we had Alicia Usmanov on the board um, who the fans pretty much hounded out. Uh, for, for whatever reason, I guess they didn't like some of these other business dealings. I mean, that guy makes Roman Abramovich look like an orphan in terms of money. So, you know, we, we, we kind of lost out on that and we've, we've, we've kind of, we're stuck with the Krumkies now who notoriously don't spend any money. When you look at their, their teams in America as well, the LA Rams, I know they got to a Super Bowl final recently, but same sort of model. They hired a novice coach to come in, young players, same thing in Denver, the Denver Nuggets. They've drafted well um, and have been lucky. Like Their best player was drafted, like the number 40 pick or something in the NBA draft. And they struck it lucky there. They don't go out and spend. I was listening to an interview with Carmelo Anthony um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that, you know, they made the, the conference finals and the Krunkies didn't want to invest anymore. They wanted to bring in young guys. They wanted to bring in a young manager. So they're not into the win now business you know they're into the the business of profit um and unfortunately that's to the detriment of fans so uh, it's a real toxic environment i mean yes they've spent a bit of money this year which is good um, but even with the profile of signings that that we've made this year i mean everyone was 23 and under so clearly that tells me that this is a development plan as usual that's the model that they've employed throughout all their franchises so it is disappointing from our perspective and, you know, 
we're so far behind the top four now that I struggle to see how we're going to get back. Um, you know, unless we're talking about in a few years' time, once these guys have developed and hopefully haven't been snatched up by these big clubs. So it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. But I think there is a real, um, a real concern that, you know, these top teams could pull further away from the pack. Well, hopefully, with the sign of Carmelo Anthony from the NBA, that'll change all of that for Arsenal. So. <laughs> we'll wait and you're see. Loving, you're loving the Arsenal jibes tonight. So I should have I come prepared. I didn't expect this. Yeah, you should have. You should have. They are known as the banter club these days. So there you yeah, are. that's true. That is true. I mean, some great points raised here by the pundits uh, today. My co-host, I'll give you a bit of a stat. Average age of the youngest team. Does anybody know the who the youngest team average age is in the Premier League without Googling really quickly? Yep. I believe it is Arsenal at around 24. You would be incorrect. Mm. <clears throat> I am going off, to be fair, the end of uh, last season stats. So the, the, uh, top, the top team, maybe my stats are slightly old, but we'll go with it anyway, is Man United at 25.2, so 25 years. Um, and the oldest team in the Premier League is actually Crystal Palace with 29.8. Um, Arsenal coming in at about 7th or 8th and Liverpool at about 15th with, or 14th with about 27. So, yeah, you can definitely see that the, the age disparity is there, but United with the younger team, so maybe, maybe Riyadh is onto something. Great segment. Moving on to our final segment, guys. One second. and gentlemen it is now time for our trivia hosted by none other than Riyad Khan who's going to bring us something exciting and something a bit different who the heck is that maybe I'll hand it over to Riyad to explain the game as we go toe-to-toe in our first trivia session of the season well look in terms of who the heck is that uh, what I've got prepared is uh, it is just one guy and um, I've got a number of of, of facts about him. Um, so really, the winner is going to be the first one who guesses um, who who the heck is that. Um, so um, Wade, Connell, good to go. Yeah. What's the rules? Yeah, mate. Just jump in, give an answer. How many points on the line? Yeah, one point, ten, twenty. I need to know what I'm playing for. <laughs> so each each round, the points are slightly reduced. So we start at ten points, um, and we and we work our way down from there. Um, all right, and, <laughs> all right, here we go. It should be um, easy against an Arsenal supporter. <laughs> <laughs> For 10 points, um, this Thursday, um, on the international team, I'm expected to make my international debut uh, for Jamaica in a home game, home game against Mexico. Jeez. Jamaica. Holy wow. Man. Jamaica. I don't know. If no, no disrespect to our Jamaican listeners, but I don't, I don't think I've ever watched 90 minutes of Jamaican football. Uh, <laughs> right. I, know it's, I know it's not Hussein Bolt because his soccer career is ending. <laughs> so. All right. All right. All right. Down for nine points. Um, I'm born in England 
and I started my career at non-league Tooting and Mitchum United. Wow, sir. senior appearances for Reading um, in the championship um, and between 2018 and 2015 I played for the following clubs Reading, Cheltenham Town, Southampton, Colchester United, Sheffield Wednesday and Nottingham Forest. Was that 2015 to 2018? 2008 to 2015. Oh, 2008 to 2015. Right. And he's only making his debut this week. For Jamaica. For Jamaica, For Jamaica. wow. Okay. Jeez. Uh, Southampton. Jesus, was Southampton even in the Premier League then? <laughs> I'll move down. Oh. I'm for, <laughs> tricky. I'm for seven points now. Um, Might I ask, is this an actual known player? <laughs> it is. Very, very well known. So very, well, of course, it is. Mm. So, so you guys will know who we're talking about by the end of it. When I start, yeah, because you'll probably tell us the answer by then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 2014, 2015 season. I was named Nottingham Forest Player of the Year. 2014-2015. I'm leaning towards uh, a striker, feeling like it's someone up front. Yeah, look, that's a good I'll give you the next clue. We're playing yeah. now for, uh, I think, is it five points? Five, okay. We're halfway. Mm. Uh, and no I closer. Am... Do I get, do I get um, any points for guessing more than Wade by any chance? I haven't heard any names, <laughs> hey, hey. I haven't heard any names thrown out there. I'm just asking questions. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I am... So you want to something with a striker. So I am the club's all-time record scorer in the Premier League. My current club. His current club. I am... Troy Deeney? Can't be. He's English. Not Troy Deeney. Not Troy Deeney? Mm. So hang on. So, so uh, he's, he's the current... He's the current top, I just want to reiterate, he's the current top scorer at his club of all time in the Premier League. So he's currently playing in the Premier League? The, yes, he currently plays in the Premier League. He is the club's all-time record top scorer in the Premier what, League. What's that guy? Is it, um, is it that guy from Brentford? Uh, Tony? Yes. No. No. No, that was Tony. Look... We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Um, uh, look, I'm pretty sure the next one gives it away. Um, so it's going to be fastest finger first, gents. Okay. I, I'll, play, I'll play for the Hammers. Antonio. No. It is Mikel Antonio. Oh. He, he, he has decided to play for Jamaica. He's given up his English thing. Yeah. Wow. He's given it up. And he's on his way to um, Jamaica as we speak. Uh, and make his debut against Mexico before um, flying back to um, England. So there's three games. Um, the two second games that Jamaica are playing are in red zone countries. So um, he'll be back before that, which which is a probably a, a good thing to touch on. You know, 
what are your guys' thoughts on the internationals and the Premier League stopping some of the players um, from playing back? Cause for concern, or um, do you guys agree with that decision? Look, I hate international football at the best of times. So anything that they do to stop my players from Liverpool leaving, I'm more than happy to sanction. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to second that, man. It's, uh, you know, international, international football. It's almost like a distraction, you know, at the best of times. So. Uh, I, I'm kind of with Connell on this one, but I guess from a player's perspective, you know, some some guys really cherish playing for their country, so you can see from their perspective as well. But I guess as as a fan of a, a club and not necessarily those countries that they're playing for, if it's going to hinder the club in any way, and we've already been heavily impacted by COVID. I mean, 24 hours before our first game, six players were announced um, to have COVID. So. You know, we went on to lose that game, so we've already been impacted by it. So I'm, I wouldn't say I'm particularly happy about it, but, you know, I guess from the player's perspective, you know, I can understand why they want to represent their country as well. Yeah, 100%. In all seriousness, it is a, it is a tricky one for players, but I guess, you know, the clubs will be looking at this as a bit of a, a, bit of a, a get-out clause to keep their players, especially in the early part of the season, which is always yeah. a, a tricky phase. So... I think it's the right move to do, given the current climate we, we, we live in. It's not, it's not a perfect world right now, so yeah. you've got to kind of adapt to these situations. And I think that the, the Premier League has made the right call to, to stop these moves happening. So, You know what I'd like to see, just while we're on the subject, guys, is how many international breaks are there during the, during the season these days? Because it seems like every few weeks we're breaking for international breaks like they should just have one sort of international season a year where they go away for let's say three or four weeks and they just play you know and then come back and let the season get on with it you know i know logistically it might be challenging but it just seems like we're breaking every few weeks for a couple of weeks and it's just so distracting don't you think that they should look at a restructure with the international breaks they should i think um i'm actually not as upset about this current break because this is World Cup qualifiers, right? So mm. I think is, there are significant games to be played. I am more concerned when it's international friendlies. Yeah, um, so yeah. Surely, surely they can do so, away with those. Exactly. So, so in, you know, I think for for um, international tournaments, I think all the breaks that players have need to be in line with international qualification or, or mm. some sort of. You know, these friendly games, um, you know, ultimately the clubs are paying these guys' wages and all, all you're doing in these friendly guys are putting clubs' assets at risk. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they go away to play the game in South America against Chile and you're worried about a player coming back injured um, and mm -hmm. jet lagged. Or that same week they play on a Thursday and, they, and then, you know, it might be Fabinho, Allison and Firmino. Um, and on Sunday, they're going to play against United. And, and most of the time, they end up getting benched. And then you, you, you're playing a weakened team in, in, in a big game. So, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, look, so I'm all for a restructure. Uh, I, I know the internationals are important that need to happen for, because I think we all love international tournaments, right? Uh, um, uh, I love the tournaments. I want nothing to do with the qualifications. <laughs> but it, it serves a purpose. There's got to be qualifications. So, so um, um, I do. Think but I do. I, I do think 
to Wade's point, just look at an alternate time in the calendar, get them over yeah. and done with, with, with the uh, process required, whether that be in the off-season or, or towards a certain point in the season. So just to answer your question too, Wade, there's actually three... I think it's three international three or four international breaks one is in september one is in november and one is in march so it's actually yeah. three that occur for two weeks basically so you're looking at about six weeks in the season that are interrupted with international breaks right so they need it but i think there's yeah to your point right these friendlies are just an absolute waste of time and you know more risk to the players at the end of the day yeah yeah, I mean, three games into the season, it's just ridiculous, you know. You've got guys um, coming in who, you know, some some guys haven't even played for their club yet. Look at Ronaldo, you know, coming into United. He hasn't even played for United yet, and there's an international break, you know. Yeah. Guys are still settling in, and it's uh, and then all of a sudden you've got to go away for two weeks. It's um, yeah, it's uh, it's an annoyance at the best of times, but. Um, I suppose it's got to be done, but yeah, definitely in agreement. They've got to look at those friendlies. That's just a waste of time, in my opinion. Yep. And on that note, we will never talk about international football on this show again, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, because we are all about the Premier League. And it has been awesome having you join in to our live stream. This video will be posted later. You can catch us on all the handles um, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. And we'll be coming back to you every Tuesday. 9am live with the latest updates from your football loving South African Australian family. We thank you for joining in this first session and we'll see you back again next week. But this Thanks time you. it's time to say goodbye. Cheers, guys. <laughs> Great show, gents. Stay on the line. <laughs>